0: This is going to make some of you sad. And some of you will smile really, really big. But we're going to finish up Exodus today. And, and that for some of you, that means you're going to have to do some reading on your own because we could fill up the time with me just reading the remaining portions of Exodus. And, and there's some really neat stuff in there. But after a lot of time in prayer, God didn't want me to dig it all out and spoon-feed it to you. So you get to pick up a shovel and dig for some of the gold. But last week we talked about the golden calf and the cup of unfaithfulness, and we're going to jump right in after that, and you're going to see that God allowed the children of Israel to repent and to make room for Him to be present with them every day. And, and that, that seems like a foreign concept because we, we in the, the modern church, we believe that Jesus died on the cross for that to happen. But we need to understand that God was modeling who Jesus would be and what His role in our life would be in the old testament through the tabernacle and and he put limitations on it that could only be removed through the blood of the spotless lamb of god jesus christ and and it makes a lot of the things that show up in the temple later make sense it it makes the fact that that veil tore from top to bottom immeasurably good for us as Christians. And, and we're going to get into some of it today. We're not going to get into all of it because we have a long way to go. So, again, I encourage you to dig through Exodus 33 through 40. And, and just look at the detail that God puts into things. And that seems to be the word I can't get away from this morning is detail. And um, I was just floored this week thinking about how much gold was needed for just making the furniture in the tabernacle. And, And then there's something that jumps out to me that won't jump out to you until a few weeks from now, but the acacia wood that is used to build everything It will become something that you'll never forget when we go through the series, Lessons of the Desert. And it's amazing how the Word of God has so much detail. And and maybe I'm a geography nerd, and that's why I like it, because it, it speaks to the region, but it also speaks to the overwhelming goodness of God. So in Exodus 33 is where we're going to pick up. And the Lord said to Moses, Depart. I love that. You know, he just, They just messed up. They just blew it with the golden calf. And God's immediate response is, Let's go away from this place. Let, let's get away from where you people have messed up. You and the people whom you brought out of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. It was all good until that moment where God said, I'm not going with you. You go ahead and go because that fulfills the covenant. I gave you that land, but I'm not going with you. Lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Wow. I'm not going with you because I'm afraid of what I will do to you. Any of you ever been that mad at your kids? Just go somewhere else so dad can cool down? Because you stay right here right now. I can't promise good things will happen to you. Maybe I'm the only one. I see people giggling, so maybe they've been that mad at their kids. Uh, I'm not going to ever claim I've been that mad at my spouse. She's probably been that mad at me. I'm looking for the reaction, ready to duck. But, you know, I'm not going with you. You're a stiff-necked people. And, and, and something I want you to understand is, as modern Christians, we think we're exempt from that. We, we think that God's going to go with us and bless us no matter what. Well, that's garbage. Whoever told you that, that's absolute garbage. If you're not going in the will of God, you can't expect the blessing of God to follow you. That's just not how it works. Will God's presence be with you? Yes, but does it mean He's going to put His hand of blessing upon it? No. You cannot willfully choose to step outside of the will of God and expect to be blessed. That that would be like... You know, my wife deciding she didn't love me anymore and that I should just give her everything I make every month anyway. That that, that may be how the law lets it work a little bit, but that's not right. And I already told her if she wants to leave me, give me five minutes to pack a bag. I'll leave me with her and we'll go. When the people heard this disastrous word, and I want you to understand something, God calls us through his word and through a lot of times people speaking his word under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If there's times that something gets preached that you don't like, you need to check yourself because sometimes God is hitting you between the eyes with his word because you're going the wrong way or you're making the wrong decisions, and God's trying to gently correct you through His Word and and through the spoken Word over you. And, And we see this right here, because when the people heard this disastrous Word, they mourned. When is the last time the Word of God brought you to the point where you mourned over choices you were making in your life? or choices you were not making. I think the church in America is guilty of sins of omission more than we are of commission. We we omit some of the things that God said to do. You know, we we don't put an emphasis like God's word does on taking care of the widow, the orphan and the alien because that doesn't line up with our political agenda. That doesn't line up with my plans, my time, my money. And God wants us to look at his word and to see what matters to him, what captures his heart and what doesn't line up with that in our life, we need to mourn over it. And no one put on his ornaments. Did anyone put on their ornaments today? And and there's some of you that are kind of grinning like maybe we did, maybe we did. We'll talk about ornaments here in a minute And, and I am by no means criticizing fashion. Okay, I promise you, I just need it for an example today. For the Lord said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. So from the time they leave Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, They no longer wear these ornaments. Let me tell you what those ornaments were because when they came out of the land of Egypt, all of the Egyptians showered them with gifts and treasure. They plundered Egypt without raising the sword is how the the scripture refers to it. Those ornaments, most of what Egyptians ordained or, or put on themselves to make themselves look ornate were replica images of the gods they served. The earrings, how many of you have earrings that have tiger paws on them? Not today, but you have them because you rock those babies on Friday night, okay? We rock the orange and black in our town on Friday night, usually in our ears, not me, but back in the day I could. But, you know, Denise has got orange and black earrings. You know, she's ordaining herself. You know, the, the modern term for this is representing the brand. How many of you have a piece of clothing with a brand on it today? And, and we're just being fair and I'm not picking on you, I'm not saying that you worship Nike, even though Nike is the wing goddess of victory in ancient Greece, but Magellan, you know, we worship a navigator who, you know, never mind. I'm not picking on you, Koi. I'm just looking for brands as I go across. You, you definitely don't worship every Blue Jay that comes along Dale, but you know, you do go cheer for their team. Uh, I'm not even going to start because a man in uniform, we're not going to, there's so many, (laughs) so many badges we could go to. But these people had started to identify themselves and that's how the ancient world, how they identified what God they worshipped or belonged to. And when God called them stiff-necked and he said, I'm not going anywhere with people who are going to advertise for any brand but my own. They took off their earrings. They took off their ornaments and they put them away. Now, I I can't directly prove it, but I have a good idea where all the gold to make the furniture in the tabernacle comes from. It's one way to get rid of that ornament forever where I never wear it again. Is surrender it to be used for the making of God's house. But their repentance was put on display. They put away anything that might represent a false god showing, physically showing their desire to be led by Yahweh. For us, that's an internal thing. Are we putting on all these other ornaments in our life? Are we putting on, putting all this other stuff before our relationship with God? Or are we desiring to be led by God so that all of that other stuff falls in line? And that's, that's a deep, tough question. And that's not one you're going to answer just sitting here in a pew. You're going to have to spend some time alone with God and say, God, reveal to me anything that's standing between you and I, anything that I'm putting on myself that's not supposed to be there, any burden I'm carrying in the New Testament, we, we see that we're to lay aside the sin and every weight, that would easily knock us off the course that God has for us. God's mercy is displayed yet again. And if you haven't picked up on that, the entirety of the Old Testament, while it has glimpses of the wrath and the judgment and the righteous judgeship of God on display, it is always full of His mercy. And His mercy shows up in His friendship with Moses. And this is something, if we call ourselves friends, we need to get a hold of desperately. That, that God longed to be our friend long before he sent his son Jesus to be the friend of sinners. God had a desire for friendship with mankind. And Jesus has a desire for friendship with mankind, the Holy Spirit has a desire for friendship with mankind. If, if you want to see that on display, Jesus was a friend of sinners, and there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, referencing the Spirit of God Himself. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp. And he called the tent, he called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. Can you imagine, you know, if that's how we started our day every day, that we had a live feed from the camera and I had to come to the church every day and everybody had to stand on their front porch till they saw me go in the... Man, I'm glad God did away with some of this stuff. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. I'm telling you, it's it's way old-fashioned because it's clear back in Exodus, but I... I think it would probably be a really cool thing if we started to make it a habit of worshiping before we walk out the front door every morning. Might be a great way to start your day. Might make things go a little bit better through the day. A little bit of coffee and a whole lot of worship. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again to, into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, not the son of Anun, okay, the son of Nun. Okay, don't get that confused. A young man would not depart from the tent. If you want to be a person who is faithful and used in a mighty way of God, you must be the person who is unwilling to move from His presence. That is, that is the only way I can describe Joshua is he is a man who was unwavering and unwilling to move without the presence of God. And coincidentally, Joshua's name means Jehovah is salvation. There's a reason way before we get to the book about him that Joshua was called to lead the children of Israel into the promised land because he did what was necessary to prepare his heart to be led by God. It wasn't just he was a great warrior. It wasn't just he was a little faithful. He was really faithful. And Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. Yet you have also said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight and consider too that this nation is your people. Moses, one of the the qualities of Moses that we don't talk about enough is, is Moses understood how to intercede for the people. Because God has just said, you're going to go, I'm going to fulfill the covenant, but I'm not going with you. And and Moses knows that it won't work that way. Moses continues and, and, and tells God, if we're really your people, I need you to show me your ways and I need to know who's going with us. And God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, then why do you bring us here? And I love that. God just told him, I will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses is like, if your presence is not going with me. He's like the kid that doesn't listen. If your presence doesn't go with me, why bring us up from here? For how will it be known I have found favor in your sight and your people? It is, not in your, is it not in your going with us that we are so distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. What's going to set us apart is you. It's not going to be our stuff. It's not going to be our haircuts. It's not going to be our clothing line. It's not going to be the brand. Keep the receipts. It's your presence. God, if you don't go with us, then what's the point? We want you to go with us and to lead us. And this is where God let Moses have this tirade to show that Moses understood the heart of God. And the heart of God is wrapped up in a single word. Intercession. What are you willing to do to stand in the gap for people who don't know God like you do? Moses knew God in a way that no one else in Israel did. So Moses had to become the bridge between God and Israel. And Moses stood in the gap and he interceded. And the reason that he did that is because it is the very nature of God for intercessory. And that is proven in Scripture because advocacy and intercession are two of the actions that directly mirror the heart of God. And this is proven because two of the three parts of the Trinity are directly involved in advocacy and intercession. In John, 1 John Chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Later on, John will write that he saw God, and he saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for the people. In case those are too big of words, Jesus was there pleading their case. That's what He's doing right now. He's not sitting in heaven twiddling His thumbs. And people are like, well, He's doing what He said. He's making rooms for us. Do you know how God creates things? He says, let there be and they're done. Jesus already probably said, let there be and the rooms are built. So now He's sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Give them more time. Please reach their heart. Send someone in their path. And likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, intercedes on our behalf if two out of the three parts of the Godhead Trinity are about interceding and advocacy, what should we be for the world around us? We're not called to sit on a seat of judgment. We're called to hit our knees in intercessory prayer, begging God to reach their hearts, begging God to open their eyes, begging God to make room in their hearts that only He can fill. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do. Exactly what you've asked for, I will do. I will go with you. My presence will be what sets you apart from the rest of the world. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. What a a beautiful thing to have God say to you. Uh, how would that make you feel if, if you're praying and, and listening to the Spirit of God and He speaks to you and He says, Dale, I know you by name. It, it makes you smile just to think about it. I mean, it makes me smile thinking that God knows me by name. And Moses is not done. That, this is another thing that I think God honors is when God answers that you're still not done. Because there's always more of God that could manifest in our lives. There's more of His presence, more of His goodness, more of His mercy. Moses said, "'Please show me Your glory.'" And he said, "'I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord.'" And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But He said, You cannot see My face, for man shall not see Me and live. That's one of the things I'm most pumped about in the book of Revelation is that barrier is gone. When we get to heaven, we get to see God in all His glory. We don't just get to see the backside like Moses will. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. You know what's crazy is Moses got to be covered by the same hand that is the father of the hands that would be scarred for our forgiveness of sin. Exodus 34-40, through I'll give it to you in a nutshell. God renews the covenant. God gives the law. He invites Moses up and says, bring two tablets just like the ones you destroyed and I'll help you put the law on them. And then He gives detailed instruction for the tabernacle because He's making a promise to Moses that I'm going to dwell among you. And everyone in Israel will know my presence is with you. And all of your enemies will know my presence is with you. And when they made a space, God filled it with his presence. Exodus 40 verse 34 through 38. The Lord covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel, throughout all their journeys. Wouldn't that be handy? Where God manifests Himself as a cloud, and when He lifts up, it's time to move. And and as long as He's sitting there, we know to stay right where we're at doing right what we're doing. And not only was He a cloud by day, but He was a fire by night that His presence never left them in darkness. You think about it, it's a camp of millions of people, and everyone in the camp could see the presence of God day and night. Man. I think about that, and I think, how far, how far short do we fall? Because are we put in God's presence at the center of our lives? Are, are we making God the central point of our camp? Because if we are, then, then we're, we should be friends enough with Him to know when to move or when to stay still. We should be that light shining in a darkness that Jesus referenced, that city on a hill that can't be hidden. Paul writes in Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So we're called to be that tabernacle, and and we could go back through all of the, the parts that you're supposed to do on your homework and just look at the detail that God put into it, and I would ask you this question, are you putting that detail into building that spiritual house for God to dwell in? Are you spending that time in His Word? Are you spending that time in prayer, and and dare I say this word, meditation, where you're really focusing on the Word of God, focusing on who He is, and desperately trying to hear Him, that still small voice speaking to your spirit? Are you spending time praising Him with songs and spiritual hymns? No one said you had to do it with a great vocal prowess. I'm telling you, if all you can do is have the song in your head and tap your foot to the beat, that's still worship. God knows the very thoughts you think. So, with that in mind, it was a very simple prayer that that God brought to my mind. And, and I'm going to pray this every day this week. And, and to let you know, I, I have a... I don't like calling it a routine, but it is a routine. I guess the, the better term for it is I have a discipline I exercise daily where I begin the day saying the Lord's Prayer. It's a perfect prayer. Jesus said when the disciples ask Him to teach them to pray... That's the prayer he taught them. It covers everything I'd ever need. And I'm going to pray that. And then I'm going to add this, just simply talking to God and being real. God, help me make you the center of my everything. Show me your glory. Let your presence lead me and guide me. And reveal your heart to me in my dealings with others. Help me be a vessel that you overflow from. Because God has called us to to not just make it through this life. It, It was never just about no Jesus get to heaven. If that's what you think Christianity is, you missed it. God wants everything. That, that may be the most powerful line of that prayer is God, help me make you the center of my everything. The, the Hebrew version of that would be make you the center of my very, which anything you put after very is a pretty big deal. But (laughs) may your presence lead me and guide me and reveal your heart to me. I I cannot think of something more valuable in this life than knowing the heart of God. And, And I'll give you some very simple clues. The heart of God is for people. It's not for stuff. It's for people. Got to witness a, a small church in our community making a big impact yesterday just by inviting people to come out, eat a little food, play some games, and hang out in fellowship. Willie, you hit it right on the head earlier. We can't have enough fellowship because we're better together. And... And that's the way our relationship with God is meant to be. It's meant to be fellowship where you come so close to Him that you look just like Him. And the last line help me to be a vessel that you overflow from. You know what causes something to overflow? It's being constantly poured into. You you don't get an overflow from just an occasional drip. It takes a long time for a drip to overflow. I want God's presence to be pouring into my life. Like like was described in the Old Testament when the Spirit of God rushed upon David from that day forward. I, I want that rush for stealing a modern modern term. I want that rush of God in my life to where it overflows on people. In the New Testament, we saw the Spirit of God overflowing so much on the apostles that their shadow passing by caused sick people to be healed. And yet, if you read the accounts, they never gloried in that. They just simply wanted to make Jesus known. So make that your prayer this week. Whatever it sounds like for you.